Hey everyone, welcome back to the Christian Formation Podcast. My name's Raven and I'm one of the co-hosts here. And normally we would be trekking through the New Testament. However, we want to take a quick break to highlight one of our older episodes that is the most famous, I guess you could say, or most listened to episode of all of the episodes that we've recorded here on the Christian Formation Podcast. So if you are a longtime listener, think back. Which episode do you think was the most listened to? Well, you might be surprised to know that it's actually an episode that was all about C.S. Lewis, recorded on May 1st, 2019. As of today, March 28th, 2023, it has over 7,400 listens. That's incredible, you guys. And I didn't have the privilege of being on the podcast at that time. And so I went back, listened to this episode, and it was just something fun and interesting that I didn't know. And so we wanted to share that with you today. Join us next week to dive back into the New Testament. But for now, enjoy this podcast episode over C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Hello, and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. My name is Gabriel, and today I'm joined by my friends Andrew Rutten and Reese Peeper. And today we're talking about an influential writer, uh, apologist, and armchair theologian, if you will, um, named C.S. Lewis. Uh, he, uh, he's written a lot of works that have been fairly influential, um, not only today, but during his time, which is pretty cool as an artist. You know, most of the time your works are more influential when you're dead than when you're alive. But he was actually pretty influential while he was alive. Um, you might know him from the Chronicles of Narnia or the Screwtape Letters or something like that. Um, but I think to get like a fuller grasp of this man, C.S. Lewis, um, we should probably look at his history and where he came from and who he even thought of himself as. And so, yeah, Reese, you've been doing some reading about C.S. Lewis and just his history. What have, what have you found? What's been like some of the historical points that have stood out to you about him? Yeah, yeah. So a little while ago, I read this uh, biography by a guy named Alistair McGrath. And so a lot of uh, just my understanding of Lewis kind of comes from this biography and um, I won't share a ton just for lack of time, but uh, just kind of focus in on his early life and maybe his his conversion specifically, which will be a great great look into what we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, and so Lewis was actually we think of him. I think most people think of him as from from England, just because that's where he worked and lived for most of his life. But he actually grew up in Ireland, uh, and he had this uh, father who was a lawyer. Important distinction: England versus Ireland. This is very true. <laughs> yes, you would know. Him. You would know. <laughs> don't want to offend you or anyone else. Oh, you want to offend me. Yeah. So his father, he was a lawyer. His mother kind of, his mother's background is religious. And so he kind of grew up with that. Um, And his father uh, was very well read. And so one of the big things of Lucy's childhood is, is he has this older brother. And when his older brother gets sent off to boarding school, um, he kind of like loses his only friend and he doesn't really have, um, Mm -hmm. doesn't really interact well with like other kids. He's not really like, a go outside and play kind yeah. of kid. Yeah. And so his brother leaves and he's kind of left uh, just with his father's library. And so uh, the rest of his like early years are kind of just him like sitting and discovering all these books and things that his father has uh, in this library, um, which obviously as we know, 
and think forward to like who Lewis becomes. Yeah. Like you can see in this, just this early development of mm. um, just his reading and also his imagination. So he would, he would sit and he would just think um, he was especially drawn to kind of myths and legends and, and these things it just really stoked his imagination. Um, and so fast forward a little bit and actually when he was 10 years old, his mom dies. Yeah. Um, and two weeks after his mom dies, his dad sends him and his brother back to boarding school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he had a, a pretty good relationship with his mom, but this event is really telling that uh, his relationship with his father was very emotionally distant. Mm. His father, um, obviously a pretty poor choice, right? Like two weeks after yeah. mom dies, just like, see you guys, like yeah. off to school. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of his early childhood. Yeah. And I, I've heard that at this boarding school, like the headmaster was later like, certified insane like he died in an insane asylum yes so it wasn't even like a very good boarding school yeah he went to like two or three different boarding schools the first one was definitely not very good that's Um, like the stuff um uh the series of unfortunate events is made out of you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh and and as he's kind of in these schools especially after that that first one that that didn't work out so well um lewis continues to read he continues to kind of give himself to to literature um and I think around the time he was like 15, kind of his readings led him essentially to become like an atheist. Um, so he would just read all these things, think through all these uh, works that he was reading um, and kind of was just convinced that, um, yeah, that God God wasn't there. Like there, there's no reason to believe in him. There's we've kind of progressed as a society and and things like that. Um, and so his his early childhood and his influence from his mom kind of shifts then to in the opposite direction where he's thinking, um, thinking away from God. Um, and ironically later Lewis actually says in his, uh, book surprised by joy that a young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. Hmm. And so no sooner than his reading leads him away from God later in his life, it actually ends up leading him back Hmm to him um, as he kind of continues to expand his horizons. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, just that huge theme through his life of his reading and his his thinking, his imagination, um, man, he's just always trying to discover essentially what, what's the purpose to things, what, what underlies the world, what underlies my experiences um, and, and his reading and his imagination always draw him back into that. Yeah. That's so cool. Mm. Yeah, so then how how from that point does he become the C.S. Lewis that most of us know? We think about this great Christian mm-hmm. writer and author. What what happened from that point forward? Yeah, so his reading kind of leads him back to, he would say, to being like just a theist, to to affirming the reality of some, some deity, some god. Um, but it's actually his involvement and in work um, at Ox- Oxford with some of his colleagues one of them, many yeah, of us. Is Oxford better than Cambridge or worse than Cambridge? Uh, <laughs> definitely arguably worse. Okay, okay. okay continue then. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, so he ends up having, after he's become a theist, he's affirmed kind of these truths as he sees them. He has this conversation uh, one night with some of his colleagues, one of them, J.R.R. Tolkien. Many of us should be familiar with his works. Um, and one of the significant things about this conversation was what Tolkien was trying to uh, get Lewis to think about was not just kind of like the rational or truth side of like believing in some deity or in God, but uh, more of like the imaginative side. And so Tolkien deals in 
mythology, which is, again, what most of us are familiar with in his Lord of the Rings trilogy and a lot of what he wrote. Uh, and so he tries to encourage Lewis to think, uh, think of Christianity as a myth. And what he means by that is, is myth is like just a story that reveals deeper meaning. Yeah. So it's not like, don't think of it as like a fairy tale or something that's mm-hmm. totally false, uh, but it's this story that's told in order to understand deeper meaning. Um, and so that conversation and Lewis's uh, kind of connecting the dots yeah. of the truth that he already affirmed with thinking through Christianity as like what Tolkien wanted him to see as a true myth that all other myths and stories only tell in part hmm. is kind of what helps him connect connect the yeah. dots. And so from that conversation, he ends up, I think a week or two later, yeah. we have recorded that he, he tells a friend of his that he's, yeah. he's given into Christ. Wow. That's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I've, I've only done a little bit of research on Lewis's history, but just that, um, that sort of paradigm shift from reading the Bible, um, through like a doctrinal lens, so justification, sanctification, propitiation, to leading, reading it as like a story um, was just so huge for him. And I think I think that has some implications for um, us today. But I think for Lewis, um, I've heard there's a, there's a brilliant guy named Doctor Michael Ward who's done a lot of research on Lewis, and he's he said um, this about how Lewis uh, I guess felt towards truth and reason and imagination. And he would say this, that reason is the organ of truth while imagination is the organ of meaning. And he would say, you can't have truth without meaning. And so in order to like make sense of the world, you have to have an imagination, which is so crazy. Cause it's, um, it's, it's, it's sort of like countercultural, right? When you think of imagination, we talked about this a few weeks ago, like, you know, we think of like, um, figments of our imagination or like images in our head, but imagination for Lewis was um, deeply tied to meaning and how we make sense of the world. Yeah, it is interesting because I think when we often think about imagination or even, Reese, you mentioned the the connotation that comes with the idea of myth, we think of these things that are either silly or childish or things that you kind of put away so that you can get reason as an adult. And if we yeah. argue Christianity, we argue on reason because it's logical and um, it is interesting that the thing that mm. captivated Lewis and that then he writes in the Chronicles of Narnia, the space trilogy, he's telling these grand stories, these myths that are um, that are helping us grasp the the grandness of the story of God, which yeah. um, which is crazy. He wrote a little essay uh, that I think is titled uh, "Myth Became Fact," and he said that Christianity uh, is unique because uh, he said that all religions uh, take pieces of the grand myth that God Hmm. is playing out. So what he means is the grand story. So he said, instead of just seeing all religions as completely false, he said they're they're all trying to take pieces of the grand myth. And anytime Hmm. we think about the supernatural or the transcendent, we're grabbing onto these elements of myth or story that God really is playing out. He said what's unique about Christianity, though, is that myth became fact. And he says that in the Incarnation... Uh, God combined this grand supernatural transcendent story to our world and mm. actually became flesh and tangible and actually entered into our world. Um, and so there is this like marriage, like you kind of mentioned, of of reason and logic and, and truth that we see, 
but that he says there's this grand myth that's actually at play here. And so, yeah. um, so it's interesting that Christianity, that there is something unique there because the supernatural and transcendent has actually engaged into our world in the person of Jesus. And he says yeah. that the incarnation is the grand miracle. It's the, it's the main thing that all the world was like built for is that uh, Jesus would actually incarnate, that God would come into our world. Mm. And that all other miracles and all other these supernatural events are kind of tied into that, that God uh, in a supernatural and, and this grand story mythological way has actually engaged in, in a people and, and in reality and time. And uh, so it's just so interesting because it's, yeah. it's just, it just challenges how we think about reason, how we think about logic and how we think about Christianity yeah. as a whole, I think. For sure. And I think today, um, like maybe uh, I think of maybe a few thousand years ago or a couple hundred years ago, not a couple hundred years ago, more than that. Um, but like myth was kind of like how we interpreted the world, right? And today we interpret it through like science. But both of those only give like a caricature of like the actual picture, if that makes any sense. And so Lewis would say, even today, as we interpret the world through science, um, science, uh, there's a great quote, I'll just read it for you. He says that science works with meaningful things that it then reasons about. And so he's saying with even, within even like science, we're using our sort of mythology to like make sense of the world because we're dealing with meaningful things that have already ascribed meaning and then we reason about them, which is so interesting because like that means that like... um for instance, if we take gravity, like the word gravity was already around before Newton discovered like the weight of gravity. And so within like this thought from Lewis, we can see that um, that like gravity has taken on like a new meaning, a new imagination to it. And then we reason about it through that. So it's not necessarily that, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't have one without the other. They're just like so interlocked and they both give us like a, a grand picture of the world. Yeah. So good. Reese, as you were kind of reading through that, can you help give a picture of maybe for most of us who have a, um, a novice kind of understanding of Lewis and some of his writings? We, we were saying before we hit record that uh, I think most of us probably have the understanding of Lewis either as we read Narnia as a child or we've heard pastors or somebody quote Lewis. And so we have these like kind of <laughs> quotes that we throw yeah. out, but I don't know that a ton of us have actually like engaged super well with who he is and, and mm. his writings. And so can you help us think through a little bit? What is, uh, how should we view Lewis when we actually read him? So I think at the end of this, we want to encourage people to, to read some of his works and to be kind of challenged by him. Um, but let's lay maybe a little bit of a foundation for uh, just what's really good uh, in Lewis. How should we view his strengths? And what are some things maybe to be uh, aware of as we come to, come to some of Lewis's writings and works? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I think one thing, and we'll probably end up talking about this as we specifically talk about mere Christianity, but just his idea, even in that title, he was trying to kind of um, kind of transcend denominational differences and just distill mm-hmm. it down to like, what is what is Christianity at its core? Who's this Christ that we're following? And, and how can we kind of shed some of the the baggage that comes along? I mean, most of us today are still just as familiar with all the different little differences in denominations, and yet, mm-hmm. even amidst those differences, we still follow the same Christ. Uh, and so I think that's a, a good virtue of, of Lewis. Um, and I mean, originally, Mere Christianity is, is obviously written after he gives these apologetic talks uh, during World War II. I mean, he's just trying to communicate just Jesus Christ, 
pure and simple. Mm. Um, and, and so I think that's something to really respect about him. Um, and at the same time, as we talk about like imagination and kind of the way Lewis thought through things, uh, especially in his like Chronicles of Narnia, I'd hesitate to read those as like um, take them to apply to doctrine directly. Uh, Lewis, his influences and his studies, he loved like medieval literature um, and, and a lot of his like imagery and stuff that he uses in some of his, his works, like the Chronicles of Narnia are meant more to just kind of paint this picture to get us mm. to think, to get us to imagine, not necessarily to say this is exactly like in picture form, how the atonement works. Yeah. For example, I think a, a lot of us are familiar with, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia when like Aslan is sent to the stone table to, to be sacrificed on mm. behalf uh, really the way that it goes in Chronicles of Narnia is he's just sacrificed to uh, for Edmund, right? Like Edmund is, is bound to the witch, and so Aslan sets him free. And so it's a very like small view of the atonement. And what we would actually say is that, that Christ's atonement obviously is f- sufficient for, for all that are to be saved. And so if you just go to like read that or watch that even in the movie, the way it's depicted mm-hmm. there, you end up pulling out like a theological conclusion that's not, completely biblical but he's not trying to do that because he's not actually a theologian like he's trying to get you to think and so that's i think the big caution with lewis especially in some of his writings like that is just to not to not try and take point a and point b out of his Mm. his writing but just to like think with him and to imagine with him yeah and that's probably the most powerful thing are the images he creates not necessarily like the tit for tat you know um thing which i think is really helpful and he i read a re- essay about him recently where he talks about the different types of languages and he's like um basically there's two skilled languages there's like the scientific language and the poetic language and he probably endeavors more with the poetic while it's not as precise as the scientific language it does communicate like something that scientific language doesn't in terms of like quality and um like image you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so yeah he's not trying to be a scientist or a theologian but he's Purely trying to be an author and an artist. Yeah. Well, he even he, I mean, says of himself in some of his writings that he is not a theologian. He would say, "I'm mm-hmm. not trained in theology." He's not usually attempting to make theological statements or explanations. Uh, he he's trying to help us imagine, and he's trying to help us think uh, uh, in a grand way about God. And I think it's necessary to know that in in reading him, uh, because a lot of times we'll throw quotes out as we try to explain doctrines and we throw this, you know, Lewis quote from this random book or something. Um, but most of his writings um, are are not based on theology. It's either apologetics for some aspect of Christianity or it's these stories that are trying to help us see God and the existence of God and the glory of God uh, in different ways or just the, the joy that comes from Christianity. And so uh, I think it's important for us to make that distinction mm. so that we don't err because I would say most... Uh, evangelicals probably critique Lewis on his theology or would say that he is, you know, um, not very theologically sound or universalist or has bad views on heaven and hell and all these things. Um, And some of that may be true to some extent, but we also have to recognize that that was not his goal. He was not trying to write these theological doctrines. He was trying to, to write stories and, uh, 
And again, one of his uh, writings says that uh, he believes that myths and writing these allegories and stories help to get under our skin, he says. And so it helps us to kind of be challenged and, and maybe a narrow view of a lot of these things. And so uh, I think mm-hmm. that's his purpose is to try and kind of challenge and kind of eat at us a little bit so that we can think mm-hmm. uh, in a little bit more of a, a broad and, and big sense of God. Dude, that's so true. I, I loved your blog and just the precautions you made. If you'd allow me to play the devil's advocate. Please. <laughs> to what extent should we root out bad theologies in the world? You know? And like what like how do we deal with that? Like as a Christian, we maybe uh are part of a tradition that has like this set of values or there's another tradition that has these set of values. And C. S. Lewis is sort of poking the bear, so to speak, by like um helping us to see this grander vision. So how do we work through that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the the thing to not do is to, if you kind of sense somebody either has um, what we would say is bad theology or different theology or a different understanding, is to just not engage at all. I don't think that's very helpful to just stay in kind of your camp and your tribe. Yeah. I think it's helpful to read people that think differently, uh, are more diverse in either their upbringing or how they think, or whether that's diverse in culture, diverse in time, maybe they're hundreds of years ago that they wrote, um, diverse in gender, like all those kind of things. I think it's helpful to get various viewpoints. Now, we would say that our, our theology should be based on, our theology is only as good as the the Bible and God's word like leads us to. Um, so we we do need to be like firm in that, but I don't think that means we just don't engage with people that maybe we have critiques on. So one of the things I said in the blog is um, that it is, it's good to read Lewis with a proper understanding of who Lewis is and what he's trying to do and allow that to kind of challenge our preconceived notions or the theology that we have because I don't think anyone would be so bold to say that their theology is perfect or that, they, <laughs> that it has fully encompassed all the things oh, wait, of You God. can't say that? I would not say that. <laughs> and so let Lewis challenge some of those things. So, for instance, uh, I'm reading through his Space Trilogy or the Ransom Trilogy right now, uh, and if you've never read it, it's, uh, it's a story about this man who goes basically to these other planets, yeah. and it's after the fall and after uh, redemption has happened on Earth, uh, and specifically in the second one, Christ has already come, and now there's this new planet, and there's this man and woman, and it's kind of showing temptation of good and evil and almost depicting the creation scene once again on a new planet. Um, mm. But it's so challenging to think through uh, what God could do, you know, and immediately I'm trying to think through, well, this would never happen, or, you know, God would never do this, or we don't see this, you know, in the Bible or whatever. But I think the point of Lewis is not to make those claims saying that is for sure happening or will happen, but he's just trying to expand our view of the mm. glory of God and the expanse of the heavens. And, um, and so I think it's just really helpful to, to let those things push and challenge, and then mm. actually ask, like, okay, why does my theological grid not yeah. allow for certain things? I'm not saying I'm going to take everything that Lewis says in his myths as true in fact, yeah. but what it should do is help challenge my view of God and help me have a bigger view of the glory of God, the beauty of God. Uh, you know, And he argues in that Space Trilogy that if the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, then we should not think of everything outside of the earth as just void, black, darkness, just vacated space. But somehow those heavens Mm. declare the glory of God. And so he just writes this colorful trilogy where it's just giving you imagery to to put something to how the heavens might declare the glory of God. Mm. I don't think he would argue that. that, I mean, it's a fictional work that he's doing, but it's helping me challenge my view of how I see earth and space and heaven. And, And so that's the good of reading people that maybe don't have every theological doctrine the same as we do, but it's just helpful to be challenged in that, I think. Yeah, that's so good. 
Man, I um, there's been a lot of good stuff said so far. Um, I think that yeah, for Lewis, um, sort of fighting back against that Copernican like, uh, you know, the Earth is not the center of the world, and all that's out there is just like space. Yeah. You know, was kind of like one of his maybe his soapboxes. Yeah, but it was it was really helpful, and I think today, even as we look at space exploration, um, like the term space has sort of defined it right as like this empty void. But Lewis might have even been a little bit prophetic in his writing of um of those of the space trilogy and like helping us to recapture this view of like the heavens and the cosmos as like um yeah a heavenly place yeah. so that's super cool um what other thoughts do you guys have on mere christianity or lewis yeah so i would just say um with with Lewis, I would recommend Lewis with this understanding, right? So, so understand what he's trying to do, that he's not trying to give a bunch of theological doctrines. But let me just give two recommendations. So one, if you've read Narnia um, before, uh, maybe as a kid, or you're kind of familiar with that, I would check out the Space Trilogy. It's uh, a, kind of another level, but it, it is really good. It's challenging to how we think through space and the heavens. It's challenging to how we think through uh, good and evil, and it basically sure. just walks through how good and evil play out, and it, the trilogy ends with that hideous strength, which is basically the, the conclusion of, of the fullness of good and evil at yeah. war together. And so it's just really good and challenging. It's a great story. Um, the blog specifically is on Mere Christianity as one of his main uh, other works. And, and again, you can read through the blog, and I, I put just a little bit of a, a summary and just some takeaways that I had. Um, but I think the biggest one is some stuff we've already said. Mere Christianity is helpful but go into it knowing that this is a, a philosophical argument. So he, he argues for the existence of God. He argues for um, Jesus and, and Christianity specifically. Uh, and then he argues for kind of the Christian ethic and some of the things that we believe. Um, so don't go into it if you think it's going to be a quick read or it's another story. Like this is a, a philosophical, kind of logical <laughs> argument. So know that going in. Yeah. I didn't necessarily know that going in. And so I was kind of hit by that. Uh, of I thought it would be a little bit simpler of a read. But here's the thing that's really good about it is um, a lot of the arguments that he makes and the things that he kind of presses on, I think, are helpful for our evangelism today. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people that struggle with the existence of God or struggle with actually putting their, whether it's atheism or uh, being an agnostic, uh, he just really helpfully challenges some of those viewpoints. I don't think that's necessarily going to uh, turn somebody to become a Christian, but it is a step in helping them maybe see some of the flaws of their argument, which is what Lewis is trying to do so that they can maybe see the grand story that's being played out. And so, um, you know, he wrote years ago, and so not all the things can you just memorize a couple statements yeah. and give, but if you digest some of the arguments he's trying to make, uh, I think can be really helpful. Hmm. And again, come at it from a lens of he's trying to make a philosophical argument. Uh, he's not trying to make a bunch of theological statements throughout the whole book. He gets to that. But just be cautious that he's not a trained theologian that's trying to do that. He's just trying to help us think through how do we engage with people that maybe don't believe in the existence of God or struggle with the idea of Christ being um, the Messiah and the one that that saves us. And so um, with those cautions, I would recommend it, uh, especially if you have some friends that, that are more uh, atheistic or really struggle with the existence hmm. of God. Uh, it's at least a, another tool to, to just think through that kind of argument. I don't think it's flawless, but I think it's good and helpful um, and use that as a way to get to the grand story and kind of the heart behind our evangelism. 
Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.